All right, Dr. Thomas, we are, I guess Thomas is my cousin, y'all. We are live. Are you ready to kick this thing off, Doc? Let's get it. Let's do it. KTTV, giving you what you need. Motivation, education unleashed. H-Time representing, we forever keep it rolling. Join the conversation with inspirational stories. Thought-provoking, feel that energy. Kendrick Thomas aiming to lift the community. True indeed, tune in, come and see. Giving you what you need. KTTV, let's go. KTTV. What it do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of Education Unleashed. And on tonight's episode, I have the grandmaster herself, educator, author, just everything, Dr. Katina Thomas. How you doing tonight, Doc? I'm doing good. I'm loving that intro. Hey. I need to bring you everywhere with me. Hey, look, <laughs> we got to get it going because uh, I think how they say you, the way you start that thing is the way you're going to end. So let's turn it up. All right. Hey, that's it. Now, um, I, I want to say thank you for taking some time out the schedule. I know we talked um, in the pregame about just how busy it is on both ends. So mm -hmm. just thank you for showing up tonight. I appreciate the invitation. You knew I was going to accept your invitation. I always yeah. accept your invitation because yeah. I'm going to be talking with you and chatting it up. Look, I, I was thinking like the last time we did this, I was getting started. I remember us meeting at the uh, apartment complex. Yeah. I had the table with the phone set up. Yeah. I, it was real, you know, just thanks to now where we come and we're able to jump online. We're able to kind of run our banners at the bottom. Uh, and the promo game has stepped up. So, uh, hey, we had to get Congrats it going. Congrats to you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we got to keep it going forward movement. That's right. So before we jump into anything, uh, wellness is so important, you know, mm -hmm. understanding the times that we live in. So uh, as you go through PV and the grind and you are all out the country, how are you balancing work and finding that time to take care of self? That's a good question. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm intentional. Mm -hmm. I'm intentional with um, how I use my 24 hours, which means that. I no longer believe in grinding it out. Mm -hmm. I've learned pacing myself is mm -hmm. what leads to longevity. Yeah. That it's a marathon, not a sprint. So mm -hmm. I need to be able to not only be able to accomplish all of the things I have on paper, but I need to understand myself. I need to understand and learn my body. I need to understand mm -hmm. my mental health, my spiritual mm -hmm. health, my emotional health. So if that means that I may have a very organized life. I'm almost type A. I don't want to admit type A. I'm not quite <laughs> type A, but I do a daily things to do list so I can compartmentalize yes. what I'm doing day to day because it's psychological. If I don't do that, I'm going to feel overwhelmed. I'm going to feel like I'm drowning. But I also know if I don't pace myself with my things to do mm. and carve out some time to rest, to take some breaks, to play on social media. Hey. Um, if I don't make any time to indulge in a favorite television show or, and this year in 2023, I intentionally went back to leisure reading, mm. things of that nature. If I don't, and some days I just want to sit still and I just want to sit on my patio and enjoy the weather. That way I don't feel like I have to take a vacation to escape. I have yeah. to be away from that. So it was just being intentional with understanding how my body works, how my mind and my spirit work, 
and to be able to create um, a steady rhythm yeah. and then not beating myself up if I needed that break. Mm -hmm. so that's how I get it done. Man, you know, and when I think about that, um, they call it the hustle culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so I remember first starting the podcast, I was like, man, nobody going to outwork me, man. I'm going to keep mm -hmm. this thing going. And so, uh, you know, just posting, I, I remember my goal was, okay, I'm going to post 100 times per day. And mm -hmm. so then just never hit it, but just thinking about everything that goes into mm -hmm. uh, putting, and this was before I learned how to even schedule post, right? So I'm posting all these on my own. I mean, it was, it was crazy, <laughs> but uh, you know, like you saying, uh, coming to the realization of the years that it's a marathon, not a race. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, I remember reading, uh, I think it was, I think his name Mike Smoker or something like that, but it was a book called Focus, right? We mm -hmm. read it as a book study for the campus, but it was talking about taking out all those fluff pieces, if I can use that mm -hmm. word, and mm -hmm. kind of honing in on what's the most important thing to get the bang for your book. Uh, so that was one part, but I'm with you. On the other side, I was talking the other day. I was like, well, sometimes I just want to sit and watch Love and Hip Hop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but that's, that's what keeps us going, though. So totally understand where you're coming from and uh thank you for dropping those nuggets because somebody needed to hear this today slow mm -hmm. down <laughs> yeah tell them it's okay to take a nap it's yeah. okay yeah. yeah whatever's there will still be waiting there for you when you wake up yeah i'll be checking the post and uh i do know you get the naps in though oh i love that nap hey <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get that rest <laughs> so now jumping into um you know for the people that don't know and mm -hmm. I don't know where they at, but just in case they here, mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, and, and I guess going back to what really sparked that love of education? I have to say, um, it was almost like when you when you're interacting with humans, mm -hmm. you know, very few people have love at first sight. Yeah. So it wasn't love at first sight. Um, when I was growing up, my motivation by the time I was 17 was, okay, I'm going to go to college. College was just understood. Mm -hmm. It was understood in my house and my family. And I worked towards that. But I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to major in education because I'm going to be a superintendent of schools. That's what I'm going to do. Because okay. I was thinking about, okay, I'm going and I'm going to run things. Mm -hmm. Then I got into the program. And it wasn't necessarily um, a rude awakening, but what I noticed was it's a lot more than this. It's a lot more to this and it's some levels to being able to effectively teach. Mm. So when I finished my degree, I went into A-Leaf. I went into your stomping ground. Let's go, Lee. <laughs> you know, worked in a few schools. You know, I um earned my master's in administration. I have a principal certificate. I have all of that. I did over almost 400 hours of professional development while I'm A-Leaf. Um, and I even started my doctoral program while working in A-Leaf. Now, I resigned from A-Leaf when I got into the last 12 months mm -hmm. of my doctorate because I had to be able to effectively balance. That balance, coming back to that balance mm -hmm. of reaching that goal of my doctorate and still wanting to work in education. So I had to come up with that mindset of, um, I'm going to have to take a step back to move a few steps forward. Mm -hmm. So I resigned. 
Um, I actually didn't mind teaching. I actually enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed working in education, but I also knew that as I became more educated, I started to outgrow certain roles in K-12 education. Most definitely. And I started to learn more about myself as I earned these degrees. And I realized there were certain parts I liked, certain parts I didn't. And then I started to realize I liked more of the coaching and mentoring. I still like education to make sure learners can grow. I started to realize it's not just kids, yeah. it's just learners in general, regardless mm -hmm. of the age. And I found myself being able to just have conversations with other educators and would say, hey, have you tried this? Mm, hey, have you thought about this? Because I started seeing it from a different angle. You know, yeah. I'm in graduate programs, they, they teach you how to think critically, more analytically, especially if you're in a good one. And especially if you realize that the way that you're thinking in your current role in education doesn't always match where you're going. Yeah. So as I matriculated through and left K-12, I found myself in academia. Uh, and, and I found myself still working with colleges of education, but um, I found myself when I first finished my doctorate uh, at University of Houston as a visiting assistant professor of literacy education, because that was the area that I just gravitated towards naturally. And that may have come from childhood, mm -hmm. having parents that were voracious readers, writers, that's pretty much what I gravitated towards. Um, I give it up to the mathematicians and hey. the math experts that I'm going to allow you to have your lane. I'm already in literacy. But I found myself supervising student teachers while at University of Houston, uh, being a visiting assistant professor for literacy education and teacher education. I worked for a brief stint at University of Houston downtown in urban education. Hey. And what I loved about it was... I fell in love with teaching again, just older learners. Yeah. I started imparting the knowledge and the nuggets I learned while teaching in K-12, while working in A-Leaf with the students, along with whatever was in the syllabus. Um, and then um, I found myself at University of Houston, Victoria. Hey. And I was there and I was an assistant professor of literacy education. And then towards the end of my time there, uh, that part of my tenure, I also became director of student teaching and field experiences. So I started mm -hmm. placing 40 to 60 student teaching candidates a semester <laughs> between region three and region four education service centers. So I had contact with all of these school districts. And then one day I had the opportunity to apply at Prairie. I was like, oh, my alma mater. You, you know. know. Back to my alma mater. Yeah. And, and, and it would also keep me off the road. And I applied. I didn't hear anything for some months. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm just going to keep going. And then I got invited to come down and interview, do a job talk, and they made the offer. And it felt, when I got back, it felt like home. Yeah. It just felt like home. Mm -hmm. And that's what's kept me in education mm -hmm. in the field. Because yeah. a lot of people leave the field of study that they mm -hmm. formally earn their degrees in to do something else, which is nothing wrong with that. You have to go with your calling, with your purpose. Yeah. But for me, I, it turned out to be education. It turned to, out to match my field of study. But what I noticed is that I, I continued to grow in my field. Mm 
And that's how I was able to matriculate through into different roles while staying in my original field of study. Yeah. And with the doctorate, um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day and he was like, man, you got to go back. You got to get the doctorate. And I was like, well, dude, uh, I, I last superintendent didn't have one. And he was the boss. So I was like, uh, I want to get it. But at the same time, I'm not really just motivated to go back because the work that I'm doing is not saying doctorate. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, on staying in K-12 education um, and that need for that doctorate? Um, I'll tell you what I tell a lot of people. Okay, after I first earned my doctorate, I had a lot of love from people I grew up with or I met along the way throughout at some point in time in my life. And they all would say, well, you know, I'm thinking about going back and get it. And 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 I I I, I accepted what they were saying because I sometimes I wonder, maybe sometimes we need to see someone else do it yeah. to make it seem as though it's not insurmountable to actually meet and know someone, have access to someone. But then I'd have some of them that would tell me that. And then there was a part two to that that response they would say but um i don't really know what i would do with it mm -hmm. i don't really know if i have a need for it so then i would tell them look let me explain it to you um getting a doctorate is an individualized degree yeah um i know there's a lot of cohorts out there but in all honesty it's an individualized degree do not go back to school to get the doctorate unless you have something you really want to study and investigate. And I know nobody's going to tell you that. I know it sounds like I'm contradicting what a lot of colleges say, but I'm going to tell you the truth. If there is nothing that you are passionate about that you really want to study and investigate, then wait until you do. Yeah, There's going to be something. What motivated me to go back was I was seeing a lot of things in K-12 in the roles that I was in mm -hmm. that were causing me to question how was K-12 education operating? Mm -hmm. And then how was it operating for my folks, mm -hmm. my little young black girls and black boys? Yeah. Um, you know, and then I started noticing well, I have a lot of friends like me. We have a lot of education, but we can't seem to get promoted out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. So what's going on in this system? So that's what led me back. I wanted to start investigating more and doing research studies of what's really going mm -hmm. on and what can I do to um, possibly change a lot of the narrative, especially if you're, trying, you're teaching while Black and you're trying to be a leader while Black in K-12 education. Mm -hmm. So um, bottom line is if you are not ready to investigate something or there's nothing motivating you to go investigate mm -hmm. and research, then wait until there is. Yeah. Because when you get this degree, it's not always about going out to make a lot of money. That's That should not be a motivator. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Most definitely. I think about that uh, Texas A&M. They almost got me when I was living down in Bryant um, because I was a behavior teacher. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so then they had the uh, behavior doctorate, but I would be living on campus. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, man, that sounds like I'm going back to undergrad. You know, so I was like, I don't know about that. Then I, I can't work full time. I, I just was like, no. But, uh, you know, but so so when I do think about researching um, the work that I'm doing with the young men, uh, there something along with those lines with education on seeing those young black boys and being successful. That is something. But but I, I still say I'm going to take your advice. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to wait till I get ready to fully uh, figure out that thought that I want to research. So thank you for that, because I, I, I have been teetering a while. Well, I will will say this. You don't have to have it all worked out. Yeah. If you just have an inkling, just mm-hmm. a planted seed that you're curious about, it's not going to be narrowed down when you first enter. Yeah. Then then lean into it. OK. But if you're not there yet where you have that seed planted, mm-hmm. then wait until you are because okay. it's a very self-motivating degree. Yeah, very. I agree. I and, agree. I, and I don't have any problem supporting anyone that's taken that journey because I've taken it and I took it in the season that I needed to take it in. Mm-hmm. But if there's anyone else out there that's in a season where they're in the middle of it or in the process of it because it's transformative, getting that degree is transformative for everyone. Mm-hmm. then I usually have no problem supporting, offering any words of wisdom or any type of support to help them understand that they'll be fine. They'll make it through. Even when you feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness and you don't know what direction to go, you'll you'll come out. You'll be fine. Yeah. And that, that's the way I see my boy. Sometimes he I know <laughs> it some days he just don't know which way to go. He's like, man, I got to finish this homework. you know but uh but but i think it's very rewarding because he is doing something uh to figure out that he loves uh with Mm -hmm. sel so um so i I do think it'll work out for him but when i tell you some days that brother be walking around like man it's real like here man i i can't do nothing but say i got you brother whatever you need so most definitely then oh now since we talked Man, mm-hmm. I want to say it was maybe 2019, yeah. somewhere up in there. You did a lot. Got a <laughs> few articles, right? You did a bunch of presentations. Yeah. Uh, now, did you did you do something outside of the country? Or, or I did. I don't think I'd done it until after we talked. So yes. um, I did. I went to Canada. Yeah. Went to oh. international conference. Come on. Okay, man. so this is how it happened. I was actually on vacation for a milestone birthday out of the country. Yeah. Sitting by the pool at the resort. You know, it's May. I'm a May baby. So it was nice and warm. So shout out to the May babies. But I was relaxing because it had been a very busy year at Prairie. Mm -hmm. I need to decompress. want to celebrate my birthday. And I get this phone call. And it was... um, Kappa Delta Pi International Honor Society. They were having an international research conference. And they said, um, you know, you've been published with us before. Um, we see that you sent us a little something for our conference. We'd like to invite you to come. I almost didn't answer the phone okay. because I was decompressing. And I was like, I don't know this number. But I picked it up. And I said, oh, yes, I'll come. So that really made my vacation. So when I got back, um, I made plans and I went a couple of months later in July. I went to Canada and um, I flew up there and I represented the institution. 
and I presented um, some roundtable research on um, culturally relevant and culturally responsive literacy practices mm -hmm. for young African-American males, young African-American boys, mm -hmm. um, about the impact of having uh, a departmentalized or blocked classroom yeah. uh, as young as second grade in the primary grades, the impact it would have on them having the right classroom environment and how it impacted the standardized reading performance data that has to be collected on these young boys and seeing the amount of growth it had when you compartmentalize your subjects, even at that age, so that you remove distractions from the classroom uh, and you help them focus. And then having that environment that's yeah. open and welcoming with cultural relevance and inviting their culture in the classroom. Yeah. And now speaking of that, uh, you know, coming from elementary, uh, and looking at blocked classes, I want to say we started, we didn't block in first, but we did start second grade and up. Mm -hmm. So what were the findings? Was it some like, is that preferred? Was that a better style? Did it come up or is that too early to block? I don't think it's too early to block if you know how to frame it correctly. Mm. Um, if you are truly aware of what's needed socially and emotionally, socially and emotionally at that age. Because many times I used to hear in the past, I haven't heard it recently, that um, you don't need to have blocked classrooms that young because of social emotional development, which is true in early childhood development. They do need the social emotional element. So they need to stay with the same teacher all day. However, if you set up the right environment in a schedule that is simple to follow, then it is manageable when they are younger. They don't necessarily know much different because they haven't been in school yeah. long enough to have to get set in some ways and then have to shift. Mm -hmm. And I also want to give a shout out to my teaching partner the year I did that, Jabari Burton. He probably is not watching, but he's still in A-League. <laughs> and uh, he's at Heffern Elementary. He was okay. my teaching partner. And I will honestly say he was a good support system. He was a black man. Mm -hmm. And then I was a black woman. So, of course, we brought our culture in. So, you know, the culture of family. Yeah. You have your work mama, your work daddy, you know. And yeah. we had that environment with the kids, but they could switch our classrooms mm -hmm. in the middle of the day. And they could come to me for reading mm -hmm. and have the hours of reading. And then they could go to him for math and science and have that and having the classroom set up where you didn't have every single subject on the wall. When you're asking a student to read the room, yeah. when you're asking them to read anchor charts yeah. and they are already struggling to just acquire the information. Think about how overwhelming that would be for them to try to determine which anchor charts are for math, for science, for social studies, for reading, for writing. But if you only have one or two subjects in there and that's the focus, then they, they have a better understanding of where to read, what to do, and how to be able to become more independent as yeah. far as readers and thinkers. Mm, most definitely. That was powerful. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, getting a little bit more behind that. And I didn't, I I just, we just went with it because, you know, we, we thought it was best practice being able to kind of keep them going. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but didn't think about something as small as, 
the anchor charts. Like small was so big, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it does get confusing. You know, I, I look mm -hmm. at uh, the class that we have now, and mm -hmm. it's just that math class, you know, and so it's referred mm -hmm. to the wall, but it's math everywhere. Versus mm -hmm. your math, your reading wall, your science wall, your social mm -hmm. study wall. And they were like, wait a minute. Yeah, so most definitely powerful information, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so now getting into the teacher setup and the work that you're doing at my alma mater, PVAMU, where we produce productive, productive people. people. Hey. <laughs> so but before we jump into that, uh, getting teachers prepared, what do you think sets PV uh, apart in terms of teacher uh, preparation and professional development? What sets us apart? I honestly have to say is the, and I have to go back to this, it's, it's the, it's the culture of the university and the culture of the program. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this earlier about how um, the HBCU culture is just, it's, it's more welcoming. Um, I receive emails from students on a weekly basis about how I'm certified now. Thank you. Um, you know, everything that you taught in your class, it, it, it showed up on the exam or what they're talking about now uh in on my job you mentioned that in your course so i think what it is is the culture but it's also having this environment where they feel comfortable enough to ask questions or a student feels comfortable enough to say can i don't understand what's that and not feeling shamed about it yeah so that really sets us apart um where we are uh, we're open to the students because we know that they're bringing a skill set and a background knowledge that many of us also share. Yeah. So we can teach from that perspective. We can tell you what's in a textbook. We can tell you best practices. But then we add that extra element of, OK, so when you go into your profession in the skin you're in, this is how you deliver it. This is how you navigate it. So we're always thinking about if you're teaching while black, if you're teaching while brown, um, if you're teaching while you're a man in, in an environment where it's not a lot of men. If I'm teaching where I'm the youngest teacher on a campus because everybody uh, are veterans. Um, we teach from those different perspectives, but then uh, I know personally in my courses, I take a lot of the practices that I used as a K-12 teacher and, and I modify it for them as adults. And I have more of a combination of a project-based learning and um, with a little mix of PLC. Yeah, got to add And uh, uh, some professional development where we do a little bit of lecture and sit and get, but then we do some application. Yeah. Um, because one thing I learned when I was in the school district is if I went to a training and I didn't apply it immediately, I wasn't going to use it. Go so <laughs> I developed my teaching style like that. And I have colleagues like that in the department so that the students actually enjoy coming um they actually will laugh in class <laughs> they'll actually be comfortable enough to crack jokes but they also understand that they're to get their business so i think that's what sets us apart yeah. so that we build that confidence in them when they mm. go out to the field 
Yeah, and now speaking of your class, because it sounds like it's a it's a pretty good class. Doc, you hard? You, you hard? Your class hard? Let me explain. Okay. Uh, hey, see? see? Let me explain. Okay, it's not hard. What I'm doing is my expectations are just high, meaning that I know what they're about to face. I am also in tune with, at the end of the day, my students need to be certified. And that those certification tests are standardized. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much we try to review questions to make sure that they are unbiased as possible, there is still research out there that shows test bias. So I'm mindful of all that. And I've had the opportunity to actually be on advisory committees and make sure that there's um, more equity in the questions so they're not biased. But I also live in reality. So if I want them to understand speech to print, because I teach literacy, if I want them to practice their sounds so they can teach them correctly, if I want them to know how to write a lesson plan, if I want them to know how to teach a mini lesson, if it's terminology that I want them to know because I know they're going to see it later, I'm going to hold them accountable and introduce it in my class. I'm going to reinforce it in my class. They're going to demonstrate it in my class. And it pays off in the long run. It does, but we're still going to have fun with it. I'm not going to be so stiff to where we can't have a little fun that I can't teach in a conversational tone because I learned that in graduate school from a dean emeritus that was teaching a class for me. He said the best teachers are storytellers. Mm, so I can go in and tell the stories, um, expose them to the content. They learn, they study, they apply, they demonstrate, they analyze, they go through all of that. So mm. I apply a lot, a lot of what I learned preparing as a teacher and I model for them so they can take it. Mm, that was, that was a nice, that was a nice, Nice answer right there, Doc. Okay, <laughs> you know, I had, had to just I had to explain myself. <laughs> I'm not hard. And now they will tell you, okay, so word always gets back to me. It's never anything bad. They just said she's she's really cool. She gives a lot of work though, but you don't learn a lot. That's what they do. So I never have an issue. My classes always fill up when registration opens. Yeah. As soon as it opens, they yeah. make sure those fees are paid. There's no holds. So they can get a spot or a seat in my class. So I'm that's about, that's, to me, that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, well, we thank you because uh, right now we, we need it more than ever for them to come out and be ready. So I appreciate you for being on that front line and making it happen. Right. So now um, the last time we talked, mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to say we were it may so it may have been 2020 because I think we talked about a little bit of COVID. Okay. Uh, and, and, and talking about moving to online, I want to yeah. say. But now we, we think about 2022. Uh, we've seen the impact of COVID. We know that we're coming in to fight gaps, to fight uh, disparities, equity. Uh, how has the pandemic, um, I guess, impacted teacher preparation? And what new approaches uh, have you seen when we're thinking about, like I say, those gaps uh, that you all have switched up at PV? Okay. What people don't realize is just like our students in K-12 public education may have experienced some learning gaps. We're discovering that it could be a couple of learning gaps with our college students. Mm -hmm. 
but it's their gaps that we're plugging or that we have plugged. We just, we noticed it and we pivoted. And it was because just like everyone else, we were thrust into the virtual world. And if you have a learning, a teaching style that's similar to mine, where we, we, we talk a little bit, but then we do some application and some demonstration. We do it like we, we do things like a clinic. And all of a sudden, I have to just talk to you through a webcam. Um, it, it made a lot of us pivot and really start to rethink what can we digitize and what can we do that will still keep them safe, but will also prepare them for where they're going. Because we also, on top of that, teaching the content, helping them get certified, helping them become marketable to be employed. We also had to get them ready to go into what could have possibly been a virtual teaching situation for the duration because there was no end date in sight. So we all received the training for distance education from the university. So we're certified to teach distance education. Um, And even when we started to reopen in 2021, the campus started to reopen. um, I still kept one of my courses online. Mm -hmm. And however, it wasn't just me putting it online, very empty. It was actually taken through a rigorous process from our instructional designers um, who are certified educators, who are certified and credentialed to know how to convert courses into online instruction and still be effective. Um, It went through a rigorous audit and um, they actually spoke with us about how to take activities and put them online. I went to additional training that was offered by UNCF just for um, employees from HBCUs in the summer to learn activities to do, things to keep students engaged. So we faced a lot of the same obstacles that K-12 teachers did. Mm. It's just that we had a different set of resources that we could access because we had different content. So I kept one of my more rigorous courses online that will prepare students for science of teaching reading because that also started during the pandemic. Yes, it did. And, and, And we took a lot of what we did. We digitized it. Um, They are becoming Zoom masters Mm -hmm. (laughs) as far as creating videos. Um, It really made us ramp up um, technology integration, but not only just to learn content, but to learn how to use it as an educator. I loved it. And I never really went back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do you think the the STR, do you think it's a, a help? As we get new teachers into that field and we knowing how, in some cases, you have to be really tuned in and intentional about their reading instruction uh, versus our, our math skills. Don't get me wrong, math people. You still got to be intentional. But with that literacy, no, you, you like I say, you coming in, I may be at first grade, third grade, and I could be in fifth grade and still going through all those. So how do you think that science of teaching reading uh, component Uh, for certification impacted it, good or bad? It's hard for me to measure it because our reading program was already teaching from a scientific standpoint before this exam was added. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm proud to say that 
I and the and my reading faculty colleagues um, were already preparing our teachers on the fundamentals yeah. of the science of it. Um, mean because they we had 100% of our students passing English language arts and reading getting yeah. certified mm -hmm. so we we have that and we've been holding yeah and and it's not a lot of colleges that can do that especially when these students don't have a lot of teaching experience yeah. so when they added the science of teaching reading um we all received training from the state resources materials but we looked at it and we said well, we already do a lot of this they've just compartmentalized um, a lot of phonics and phonemic awareness, which we were already introducing. Mm -hmm. And we're just taking a little bit of a deeper dive. Um, I would say from the standpoint of preparation, um, I think that is okay um, because it looks like they took some of what they were already going to get in professional development and they moved it into teacher preparation. However, it's a catch-22. Um, they learn it, but some things are strengthened through experience, mm -hmm. actually sure. teaching it. So we're exposing it to them earlier, but they become stronger once they can actually teach it. Yeah. So and and of course, you know, they also have a writing component to get certified. They have to have a mm -hmm. written response. And I've sat in the room with um, other instructional coaches and veteran teachers and they saw the writing prompt that we're helping them prepare yeah. to write and i've heard two or three of them say i don't think i could have passed this as an undergrad mm -hmm. i have a master's degree and this is difficult for me because the writing prompt uh looks similar to a comp a comp exam question for a master's level student wow okay <laughs> so okay. yeah it, it has some good points but it has some that left that are left to be desired yeah i know for me when i um uh, when i taught high school i was english teacher i was um eight through 12 uh english mm -hmm. certified and uh yeah that test in itself was real so uh god bless everybody coming in right now uh but but like i say i trust you getting it done doc so i oh, think they're gonna be all right you know you already know and 100 yeah, come on pb yeah. and science of teaching reading 100 Come on now. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so anybody that's looking for somebody that knows about English language arts and reading and science and teaching, reading the fundamentals, yeah, we talk to any of our students. Yeah, come on in over to PB if you don't want your CEO dancing all in your video. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, damn. Now thinking about the the future of education uh, post pandemic, um, you know it's that time. Mm -hmm. So people are doing those applications, getting mm -hmm. ready for those interviews. Uh, what are the most important skills that you think teachers should have uh, in this changing landscape? Some of the skills that I introduced to them, I well, I actually introduced to them and I embedded in my coursework because they need to get a full picture of what I'm trying to teach them. I can teach them content. I can help them prepare for things. But then I always throw in these nuggets of think about this, think about that. When you're answering a question, if if HR or building principal or an administrator comes to see you, think about this. So some of the things that I try to prepare them for from the role that I have, knowing that I have K-12 background experience, yeah. knowing that's the direction they're going in, mm -hmm. I always give them a rationale for why we have to study something. 
why I want you to know R says er and not r. You know, little things yeah. like hey. that. <laughs> and I, you know, so I always tell them I want them to understand the fundamental components of a lesson plan. I want them to understand how to build relationships um, from a culturally relevant standpoint with the students. Yeah. I want them to be knowledgeable of their students' culture and background. And sometimes you learn it from having them in your class so that if they do or say something that you think is offensive, but they are from a different cultural background or her different cultural values, it may not be personal. Yeah. I want them to understand that. I also have them understand that you can have the most beautiful classroom on your campus that looks like it comes straight from Pinterest. But if you have, if you don't know your content, then it's a waste of time because administrators are going to go in your classroom and they are going to look for evidence of instruction, and evidence of learning. So we talk about the little things like anchor charts, what happens when you have a shared reading, a read aloud, um, how to conduct yourself if a student um, says something inappropriate during a discussion and it wasn't intentional, how do you react? I always throw those questions out there. Yeah. Um, I'll ask them, what do you do if you receive an email from a, te from a parent, how to interact, those little things that you don't really know about until you're in it. I wanna give them as much of a heads up as possible and how to respond if an administrator calls you into their office because you may have said something that was taken out of context because of the tone of voice. You have to remember where I teach. Yeah. Our inflections and our the tone of our voice may be loving or it may just be matter of fact to us. Mm -hmm. And it could have been to the student, but to someone that doesn't understand that, it could have come across as aggressive or yeah. abrasive. So the little nuggets of basically yeah. teaching while your skin has a tan. Yeah. And how to navigate that. Yeah. I'd have been through that though. When you get that email, you'd be like, oh no. Yeah. I know this ain't. But then you go in it, they looking like, what? what? No, you know, but yeah, I got like, well, yeah. what was you trying to say in that email? What was and, that? And see, I have to, and we talk about those yeah. things yeah. because um when if you are at an if if you are at an HBCU and you are black. You have this level of freedom to speak your mind yeah. and to say whatever is on your mind. And um, we still want them to do that professionally, mm -hmm. but we want to um, help them understand the proper discourse to still be able to do that without accidentally burning some bridges professionally. Yeah. We're not asking them to give up their identity. We're not asking them to necessarily change anything about themselves. Just understand the different types of discourse when they're interacting with different people. Most definitely. And um, are, are, are y'all doing any, I guess, innovative teaching methodologies that you want to brag on or technologies that are being implemented right now? Um, I would say, and that's hard to answer because okay. it's, it because we're constantly changing. Yeah, we're constantly evolving. So it's not like we have these checkpoints where now we're going to start. It's just ongoing. Yeah. So um, I, right now, um, I have some colleagues that are introducing um, going into the the field earlier than their than students last semester, but we still have it where they can student teach the last semester. Um, we have, um, we're building relationships with school districts. 
um, in which we can have more of a pipeline uh, into the field from, from the university itself to the field. Um, we actually have more people reaching out to us. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, internship programs that are coming that are recruiting um, Prairie View um, students that are in our, in our College of Education and teacher preparation. Um, we have a few other things coming, but, I, but I'm not going to tell it just yet. But we have a few other things coming. Yeah. Um, it's just too soon. But those are just a few of the current things that are uh, in its infancy. And, and I will honestly say that um, we have no shortage of relationships and opportunities yeah. for students to do more than just go to class. Nice, nice. I talked to Dr. Mays, um, who was our new superintendent, um, a few weeks ago. I want to say maybe it was about two weeks ago. And so, um, you know, we talked about, uh, and I even asked HD this when I had him on, was we have relationships with uh, University of Nebraska, right? Mm -hmm. And so students were coming down. And so I said, well, how do we get those connections with PV, uh, with, with TSU? Uh, and even Dr. Mays said, well, even uh, Tilson. Uh, mm -hmm. which was his uh, HBCU uh, in, in Austin. And so yes. how important are those connections? And can, I don't know if you could tell us, but have y'all started working on anything in the LEAF yet? Um, I can say that currently we have, um, we actually have uh, an all boys campus in Alden ISD. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so, and previous, and so, and, and um, we have a few Prairie graduates there. We have a very close relationship with Aldine. So what I can say now is that um, that kind of serves as the model yeah. if other districts are interested in establishing relationships that we're open, especially if we share the vision with them. Okay. So um, we currently have that with Aldine where it, uh, our dean and other colleagues there, that was that was their baby, their brainchild. Mm -hmm. But we actually have been to the campus. We, we know the students. We've met the teacher candidates we've had there. We've met the instructors there, the instructional coach, the principal. So it's a joint initiative between yeah. all dean and Prairie View. So I guess with that said, um, if, yeah. if a leaf is interested. Yeah. They have a vision. Let's go, A Leaf. We got work to do now. We got all these productive people coming out of yes, here. Yes, yes. And we would love to send teachers to A Leaf because I remember my experience there. About I and four other classmates that graduated with me from undergrad went right into A Leaf. And some of them are still there. And um, it was very it was a very robust educational experience for myself. I grew a lot professionally. I would love for my students to have that same opportunity um, to work with diverse, diverse groups of students um, to be able to get those professional development opportunities to see the resources available and to, to have see the innovations there. I would love for them to have that opportunity. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Cause like I said, the it's very, it's very diverse these days, mm -hmm. right? So whether it's with the staff, whether it's with the kids, mm -hmm. uh, because, um, yeah, everybody moving into the same neighborhood because mm -hmm. everybody going through everything. 
And so yeah. then it ain't too much where you see it's only African-American students in here. Like you said, you got to be able to understand those cultural differences uh, and then apply them in your pedagogy, but also in your practice or in your emails, right. all that, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I do believe uh, that we need to plug that up. And but the good thing is, uh, I believe that Dr. Mays is moving toward uh, that because he said, man, well, I was wondering the same thing. Right. So then uh, so then that's where we move it to. So uh very appreciative and looking forward to have my okay. okay my so that means team. I'll be looking for you on campus when the meetings start. That oh, that's what you're saying. Oh you can look for me. Okay, okay. And you, you know, just just let me know when you, you're gonna be out there. I, yeah, you know, let me know when you're gonna be out there way to help plug help with that plug. Look, you know, look, look <laughs> that's what we're trying to do here. Now we gotta get the look, that's why I talk about it every chance. I get when I talk to him, uh, like I say, when I talk to HD, because um, while while I do see those University of Nebraska connections uh, important, uh, meaningful, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because it's it's different on both ends uh, of what they getting and what our students are getting, it's nothing like having somebody that can relate to you, mm -hmm. right, and be inside of your class who, like you said, they they got all the pedagogy, they got the content, but then it's just a different layer. Mm -hmm. of you understanding what I'm going through as an African-American or brown kid in this classroom. And I think that's what's needed uh, mm -hmm. because, man, it's, it's uh, I, I'm working on this, but a pencil is not my biggest issue, right? Not not having a pencil. is so, but if you don't understand and, and, and really empathize uh, with my culture, you don't know that. Exactly. You know, so I think that's one of the biggest pieces. Well, and, and I agree. And to be honest, um, it we have a career fair April 20th, yeah. and we'd love for A-Leaf ISD if they hadn't already registered. I'm on a career fair committee, hey, so I'm plug, making, that plug. Plug. making that plug. So April 20th, um, we are having our um, career fair, our teacher career fair. So if and, and and we invite you to go, uh, go come along with human resources. We love to have um, not only human resources come and have a booth with us, um, but also we'd like to have um, representatives that graduated from Prairie View at the table with someone from human resources because that begins that relationship so the students can see someone that walked the halls that I walked is here and they can really give me the real deal. They'll be honest with me. It's that level of trust. Mm -hmm. So if you can come with them, we invite A-Leaf ISD to come to the career fair April yeah. 20th. If you need to, you can get with me. I can get you the information, yeah. get you the registration link, yeah. pass it on to Dr. Mays. If he doesn't already have it, pass it on to Human Resources. And we just want y'all to come on and just start talking to our students. Yeah, I'm start sending these random emails out with the link and I'll see who's gonna bite on. <laughs> uh, Dr. Felicia Bolden. All right, Doc. Uh, Dr. Thomas, great job. And I'm so proud of your A Leaf family. Yes, it's so good to see that plug from her. Yeah, <laughs> She's doing big things. She's oh, doing yeah. big things. Most definitely. Trying to keep up with her. <laughs> look, look, I was going through my LinkedIn and I'm seeing, I was like, man, there's so many people that's just doing it big. And so mm -hmm. I, I made sure that I sent her they connect just to get plugged in. So shout out to you, Dr. Bolden, for uh, mm -hmm. getting logged in tonight. Great conversation. Mm -hmm. So now, what's next for you? I, 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 know, I know it's going to be something big, so I'm, I'm preparing. <laughs> but what's next? What do you have going on outside of the schoolhouse? All right. So 
I actually started a consulting firm. It wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity I've had along the way in my career, it was just it, the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. So um, I started a consulting firm um, about October 2021 called KLT Consulting. Mm-hmm. And I have a website. And right now my focus is making sure that we have as many um, teachers prepared for ESL certification because that is one area that I notice where um, many teachers, because it is supplemental, many teachers put it on the back burner, but then that timeline, that time starts ticking once they sign their contract where they have a certain amount of time to get that certification or they can't teach anymore. And then time runs out and then they're down to the wire. So I've done some um, contract work of preparing teachers for ESL certification. I do it from a little bit of a different angle, a little bit more culturally relevant because I have taken that exam. I've taught students like that. I've I've taught students that needed the tail pass rating because of that background experience and also understanding, um, especially for teachers of color, I'm not going to learn the information straight out of the textbook. I need to be able to relate it to what I've been doing or what I need to do. And some, a lot of times it's much easier to receive that information if you are trained by someone that looks like you. So I've started with that. Um, I usually will be contracted out and go in and do training sessions content and preparation. Right now, I am in the process of, while doing very many things at Prairie View, I'm also in the process of building um, an online uh, training module for educators that need to prepare for ESL certification. And it'll be on the website as well. So for those that say um, we can't afford or we can't do the face-to-face training, then I can go online and I can sign up for the online training module or online training modules. I can earn um, continuing education credit because I've been designated by TEA to offer that with my training. Mm -hmm. So anyone that gets trained by me will also earn hours towards keeping their certification and a certificate. So right now, that's the area that I'm focusing on right now. However, I also offer program evaluation. So if there's anything in a school system where um, you all need an outside objective viewpoint and evaluation of how a program is running. I'm also able to do that. Um, I've been trained to do that and uh, credentialed to do that, as well as also just coaching and teaching and mentoring. So those are the services that I'm currently offering with my consulting firm. Mm, Smells like money. Hey, look, 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 Dr. Bowles sent us some emojis here. That's a good smell. They need to make it a candle. Hey, look, uh, uh, air freshening in the car, something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Doc, uh, I just want to say thank you again for taking some time out. Um, Any last words for teachers as they prepare for the um, interviews uh, to get picked up by? Uh, expert uh, educators uh, and uh, leaders like Dr. Bolden? Um, Any last words, any final bits and nuggets or advice? Um, I would tell them, go in authentically. Um, A lot of times what I see is the the nerves are there. 
because they feel like it's a performance. <laughs> it's not a performance. It's just someone talking to you. They just want to know more about your background. They just want to know more about what did you study and a little bit about your experience um, that you're bringing in with you. It's not a test. It's not a pass or fail. They're talking to you to just see if there's a vibe between you and them. And then the other nugget that I would also offer is do not be afraid to ask them questions back. Um, an interview doesn't have to be a question and answer session like an interrogation. It is not an interrogation. It is if it's genuinely a conversation, it is a dialogue with yeah. you and whomever is in the room that wants to meet you. They called you, which means you have something that sparks their interest. So stop feeling as though you are auditioning. Stop feeling as though it's something you have to rehearse. Bring your authentic self. And then when you ask them questions back about how the work environment would be. And this is something that a lot of administrators probably do not want me to say, but I'll tell you what I tell my students. When you interview them back, listen to what they're saying. If there's something that they say that triggers a red flag for you where you don't think that will be the best environment for you and they off make the offer, it is okay to say no. Because we need to move away from just take the first job they give you. Everybody can't do that. Everybody doesn't have to do that. Yes. I know some people have to, but there's going to be another opportunity. So just bring your authentic self and just have the conversation because that's who's going to be showing up to work every day. Thank you so much for that. Very powerful words right there. Look, as I um, get ready, I just apply for principal myself. So, uh, Man, I'm going to have to use that myself. Let me go in here and just talk about the work. I'm going to come in here trying to audition and shake mm -hmm. up. Look, thank you so much for tonight, Doc. Very powerful, very good tidbits, uh, and uh, 57 minutes strong. So, you know we was running this thing. Oh, yeah. Of course we were. I, <laughs> I thank you for the invitation. I enjoy talking with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, we'll be back for part three, and we won't make it three, four years from now. No. Well, it's okay if we do. Okay. I might be a little gray, but that's all right. I put a little color in my hair. <laughs> all right. Well, they will do it. Uh, if you have not, everybody go and get your education at least merch. Uh, we got it out here in these streets. Uh, KTTV.com. Make sure you reach out. That will do it for me and Dr. Katina Thomas, representing that PV. You, you know. know. <laughs> all right, y'all. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 Is that right? <laughs>